0: Welcome to the Kesed Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesed, you can head to KessidChurch.com or find us on Facebook. Good morning. Oh, uh, Welcome to Kesed. I'm so excited you're here. If you're brand new, my name is Danny. I'm going to be sharing with you. Uh, we are in a series right now called Tradition, Legend, and Lore. This is our holiday series. It's going to run all the way through the end of the year. And really what we're doing is we're just asking uh, questions around the importance of why we celebrate what we do the way we do. And uh, sort of spending time in, in, in the things that, that we as humans do naturally and looking at why those things are important, looking at our holiday traditions, looking at all the different kinds of things that, uh, that really remind us to uh, remember those who came before us and also ultimately point, I believe, to God and who He is. So uh, I know there's lots of great churches in town doing lots of great things, so I'm just so grateful that you came to spend this Sunday with us. And uh, what I want to do is I want to pray that God would just remove all distractions, that He would let us just just get right into it, and that uh, we'd have a good time and also feel a tad bit challenged, maybe a little bit emotional, because that can be good, and uh, also feel welcome to uh, to wrestle with our God, the one who made us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this time and space. Thank you for every person that walked in this room. I recognize that uh, we are so busy these days with our schedules that to take time out on a Sunday morning uh, shows a lot of effort. I pray, Lord, that any distractions that we brought with us, anything else that, that, that might distract us from hearing from you would... Uh, would just be laid down for the next 30 or 40 minutes, that we would really engage with our whole selves, we would ask big questions and expect big answers, and that, uh, that, Lord, this time would be well spent. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for everyone here, even those who are seeking and don't really understand the full purpose of what today's about. My prayer, God, is that you reveal it to them. Thank you for what you do and how faithful you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, The series has a tagline, and it's it's this. It's a teaching series about discovering the importance of spiritual experience. Okay, spiritual experience is a big part. We're going to talk about that today. Through tradition, legend, and lore. Uh, we asked folks last week if they would fill out some of their own family tradition legend and lore because we all have these things and i got some for you that i'm going to share i'm going to try to share some every week of this series if you end up having some other family tradition legend and lore that you want to share feel free to fill it out on the hello kessit card and just put it in one of the offering boxes but here's the three that i chose to uh, share this week this uh, this one family said specifically in relation i think to thanksgiving they said they always include or invite a stranger or someone who was alone that year to join our family for the day. Example, a college student from home, someone who will be alone, a homeless person from the street. And I think that's a that's a pretty incredible tradition to uh, to do every year, and obviously a great example is set for our kids. Someone else said, before eating, also must be Thanksgiving, each person person shares at least one thing they're grateful for on that day. And that's a pretty common tradition. How many people do that? Go around the table. Yeah, that's a pretty common one. Uh, This one also um, not so common. Uh, And and most of these are anonymous, but these folks just decided to go ahead and put their names. They said, we eat Greek food for the holidays because turkey is dumb, the hazels. (laughs) So... So the Hazels, are the Hazels here in this service? Are you guys here somewhere? Maybe the last service. Uh, Turkey is dumb. So the idea behind traditions, legend, and lore is just that. It's to create space for your family to to understand what they do and why they do it. Uh, Allow me to explain a bit why this is so important for us to understand. I shared last week that for thousands of years, people lived out their spirituality, around really three guiding principles, and those guiding principles were experience, tradition, and scripture. This has been for a long time how people uh, came to believe what they believed and so acted how they acted. This is how that worked. For most of time, people based what they believed upon what they experienced. I think those of us in the room know this, but I don't think we often really uh, take time to recognize that the people who wrote the Bible that we read today didn't have the Bible before that. They were writing about what they experienced. They were writing about what was happening around them. And so for most of time, that's how people operated. They believed something based on what they saw, based on what they felt, based on what they could touch. And it was important and it was valuable to them. From those experiences, some of what they saw would be called wisdom. It would change their behavior. It would change how they acted. And so this wisdom was collected and then passed down for other generations to remember in things called traditions. And so there would, there would be someone, that a village that had a sickness. And so they sent a person to a faraway land to get the remedy. And the person made it in such and such time, by such and such time, and all the way back to save the village. And that would become a race that's celebrated for the next hundred years. These were how experiences turned into traditions. And then finally, through much of the Holy Spirit's leading, both these experiences and wisdom principles were written down and presented as what we know today as scripture. So you can imagine a bunch of shepherds in a field just doing their job, doing their thing. All of a sudden, the sky splits open. There's a star and angels talking. They experienced something pretty significant, the angels say, you should follow this star, for underneath the star was born a child, and that child's going to be the savior of the world. And so they say, yeah, that sounds good. And so they get out of work early. <laughs> All right? Think about it. They get out of work early. They take the whole day off. Right? And they follow the star to where the child is born and they recognize his value, right? They recognize who he is and they celebrate his birth. And so word spreads over the next 100, 200, 300 years about these shepherds that took off work and recognized the birth of the child who was born. And so they celebrate this birthday every year with something known as a holy day, which eventually became a holiday that we still all take off work to celebrate the child who was born known as Christmas. This is how our processes have worked and how they still work today. And with this model, people could move from place to place and face all kinds of different obstacles because they knew they could carry their traditions from the generations before them, the ones who had learned. So they don't have to repeat those mistakes. They could compare their experiences with those traditions. And anytime this experience could improve on a tradition, guess what they do? Change the tradition. So that the next generation got a little closer to avoiding whatever that was. Or a little closer to also experiencing whatever that was. The traditions evolved and they moved. And then as they got settled in and the Holy Spirit came and people began to build this book. The traditions turned into scripture. And now today we read about these traditions. We read about these experiences. And we tie them still into our everyday lives. To Understand this as a vehicle for faith. I'll use a really simple image because it's pretty basic, a tricycle. This is the best way I can understand how people should, I believe, still approach their spirituality. The first thing they should do is understand that experience is at the front. Experience brings us to our next set of challenges and questions unique to our generation. Okay, So you drive around like you do as a, as a kid and you steer it best you can and you come up against a challenge and you lose a job and you consider marrying her and you go to that church. Now nah, I'm going to go to that church or you do this or you do that or whatever experience you have, it sort of moves you through. And as you come up against these experiences, the first thing you're naturally going to do is compare the decision making you should make to your traditions. Another word for that could be your culture, especially American culture. If you grew up in Romanian culture or Kiwi, New Zealand culture, Australian culture, whatever, Chinese culture, you have traditions that help you filtrate your experiences to figure out what those are and how best to navigate those. What we learned was then that passing down those experiences through tradition would teach us how to use the wisdom that came before us the best. So we had experience, and we had tradition, and once you come to Christ, once you continue to search and ask, I believe this is, this is ultimately where people land who are willing to walk through this, you end up at Scripture, for Scripture validates or invalidates all the wisdom that comes from experience. You get to go, well, this is what I'm experiencing This is what tradition tells me how I should behave. And if you're a Christian Christ follower, the Holy Spirit through the Bible, you go, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That lines up totally different, but lines up really clearly with what I believe and what the word says I should believe. But here's the thing. A few hundred years ago, right around during the Reformation we as Protestants, which is what we're all sort of, uh, this, this room is, is kind of a, a legacy of that movement, said that experience was becoming too much, and it probably was, that there were priests and popes and people too high and too big and too far away, and, and everything wasn't personal enough, and so they said, let's just bring it back to Scripture, and so all of a sudden, all of these things were replaced with Scripture on every wheel, Scripture became the thing, the base. This is what, how we live. This is what we do. This is what we believe. And it's beautiful, but not on every wheel. See, I'd said this before, and it's been trickled into our church recently, but the Bible can be used to do a lot of damage if you don't filter the Bible through the experiences of the person that's preaching it and the people that are hearing it. The Bible talks about all kinds of things that were culturally relevant that aren't anymore like slavery. It's filled with it. Slavery, bond servants, the selling of people. It has a couple of views on women that are fairly culturally relevant <laughs> that we still try to pull forward. I actually sat only one time early in my career, I was way too young to be doing marriage counseling. The guy brought out his Bible and read all these Old Testament verses about how his wife should behave. Ooh. Like it was rough. It was rough because he didn't recognize that that the experience that the Holy Spirit was presenting before him scripture can validate it but tradition is what part of this movement that we need. See, a few hundred years ago, people traditionally thought slavery was okay in the Bible was the reason for it. And then they started to awaken and they said, "You know, I think we should kill that tradition." Still leave it in the Bible because it makes sense for this time, and you can build on it and understand it and turn it upside down and backwards. But the reality is it doesn't apply to where we are right now. And so that tradition went away. And so now today the tradition, right, that absolves all that is something we celebrate, that it's gone, that that it was a terrible thing at a terrible time. But people who live with the Bible at all three wheels... Don't understand that the experience piece of this, this Holy Spirit eyes to see, ears to hear kind of work is critical. See, and I'll put it up here. Without valuing experience, here's what happens. There is no room for people to question or doubt when faced with life's difficult questions and challenges. That's what the entire Untethered series was about. It was about being willing to be honest about what you've experienced about how you've been treated, about how you've treated others, and about how God is going to work that into your story and into your life. Not pretending that you read the Bible, you became a Christian, and now none of that stuff matters. No, that stuff is woven into your story. I'm all about Jesus making you a whole new person, but you got to start with something. And that stuff is in your story. Now, it doesn't mean you need to pick it up and carry it every day, but it means you need to recognize that if you were a foster kid in the foster system, and you come to Christ at 22 years old, you're just not suddenly packed full of self-esteem because you got bummed around. And I'm speaking of someone in here right now who who knows exactly what I'm talking about. And so your story through Jesus is about remaking that part of your story that if you don't own, you're gonna start up here. What, was Sunday morning and the day you came to Christ at camp? You're not gonna deal with all the Christmases you were alone? You're not gonna deal with the fact that everybody else got got chosen. You're not going to deal with the fact that everybody else's parents came and got them. No way. You got to deal with all that stuff for it is all overcome by the blood of Jesus. You don't just shut it off. You pull it into your story and you value it. But without valuing experience, there is no room and you have to question and you have to doubt and you have to wrestle for this is what is within faith. This, if you don't do this, it results in a lack of knowledge, that can be passed down and therefore no traditions to place that learning knowledge within. The traditions just stop. And so all the learning, all the development, all the stuff stops. Because all you do whenever you have a problem is read scripture and then read scripture over people. Oh, you got a problem? You're thirsty? Jesus says, he's living water. All right, let's get something to eat. No, no, I'm like, my soul's thirsty. Jesus said he's living water. What more do you want than a verse from God? Yeah, I mean... I guess, okay, just live your life thirsty. So there's no tradition, so there's nothing to pass down. Therefore, if that happens, therefore, creating a reading of scripture that has to be translated from scratch with each generation that comes across it because there's no traditions to teach them about the things the generation before them got through and over and developed due to their experiences. We have to value our experiences in order to create the traditions that cause our children to learn from the things we messed up on so that they can pick up those traditions and start at a higher place to value their experiences and therefore create their traditions so that they can pass that on to their children. If we don't do this, and I'll say it, the last crowd went, but I think that was because it was 9 o'clock. I said, if we don't do this, what we end up with is finally... A book, a potentially emotionless, experienceless, cold and heady book of words that everybody has to read for the first time on their own and try to act like it all makes sense. We need to be a congregation that values the experiences that are in this room, the things that have happened to people in this room, because those things create our traditions, which create our culture, which create safety for more people to value their experiences, which create more tradition, which means more and more people get added to this family that is God, who then dive into Scripture, and immediately, like my daughter, I have preached about her, I can't get over it. Dad, a lot of this stuff you preach about sure seems like a fairy tale. Yeah, it sure does. And I'm so proud that we created a space where my daughter can be honest about that. From that conversation, we've had, I think, three or four theological talks because there was enough space in our church and enough room in our relationship for her to go, Some of this stuff is just hard for me to buy. And I was like, That makes sense. Don't buy it then. Put your money away. Let's talk about it. And so she's glowing with questions. She's glowing with searching. She, she wants to know why. And so, I, you know what I bring in? Traditions. You know what's coming up? Thanksgiving. You know what's coming up? Christmas. You know what's coming up? Her mom's birthday, right? Whatever the traditions are. We bring them in and we explain them and we tie them into a beautiful place and in a beautiful way and like seeds in the ground, they flourish. Let me show you why this is uh, so very important, this valuing of experience and why I believe it's 100% biblical. For why would I teach it if I didn't? Matthew 8, 5 through 13 is a beautiful story. It's the story of Jesus traveling around doing his thing. And all of a sudden, he gets to a place in Capernaum. And it says a centurion, which was a, a high-ranking Roman soldier, came before him. And let's read about this exchange. Romans 8, verse 5. When he, Jesus, entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, let's remember this phrase, because I'm going to bring it back up. He marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west to recline and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom, which are those people present, the Jewish people, the people right there who were among the movement of Jesus, the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that dark place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then to the centurion, Jesus said, Go. Let it be done for you as you have believed, and the servant was healed at that very moment. Okay, so first, the people coming from east and west that Jesus says will recline at the table, will be in community and family with God. Those are people outside the church system. Okay, the church system was Israel at this time. That's where Jesus was. That's the people who were opposing him the most. We know this. It's all the Bible words, right? All the, all the, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the whatever else you see is that we're trying all the time to get into Jesus's business and mess him up. And Jesus is going along preaching his message, okay? And all of a sudden, this pagan pops in, like this total guy from outside the system. And all he knows Based on his experience of living within the Roman rule and the Roman system, is what good authority looks like. So he goes to Jesus without any understanding of Jewish scripture, without any understanding of Jewish tradition. He goes, My Lord. He proclaims him in charge, my general, my liege. I have a servant I would love for you to heal. And immediately Jesus is like, Let's do it. And he's like, My Lord. I know how authority works. I get how the system is based on my knowledge, not this Jewish knowledge, not this stuff that we love to hold so high, based on my total outside Jewish knowledge, I know how authority works. And I know that if you say it to be done, it will be done. And Jesus marvels. And he says, these are the people that I'm gonna do life with from east and west. Inside the story, here's my question. Where's the scripture? Where's the tradition? And yet Jesus says this man's faith was marvelous because it was based on his own experience. Your worldviews and your experience are invaluable to your spiritual journey. They make you who you are. And what happens so often in church is we walk in and the church sets up like this big tent cookie cutter mold of what you're supposed to look like and you try to fit in but you still wrestle with stuff from your past and they go, no, 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 you're a whole new creation. Just don't look at that stuff. And you're like, well, I can hide it but I can't not look at it because like I'm a Roman. No, 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 you're fine. You can just be Jewish like us. No, I don't think I can because like, like I'm a Roman like i've been raised like with romanness and a lot of us in here have been raised with, with Roman-ness, with, with different ways of thinking, with different ways of understanding, with different uh, ways that education has, or not not being educated has impacted our lives. The, the relationships, the broke up marriages, the story of you is the very story that you are supposed to pour into the gospel and into the hands of Jesus for this experience is where God moves. When this man's experiences were poured into the presence of God, sacredness was revealed. He said, this is what I am. I need help. I'm not all powerful. I know how authority works. I get what it means to be in charge, and I'm willing to trust, because that's what good soldiers do. And Jesus went, I'll take it. And everybody else was like, whoa, whoa. I mean, has he done the sacrifice? Has he been to the temple? Is he even circumcised? Right? I mean, what? (laughs) That's especially when he was like, no, 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 no. I'm a Roman. Right? This stuff wasn't important to Jesus. What was important was the man's willingness to bring his whole self. We have lost this. In our church, we've lost the value of tradition, we've lost the value of legend, and we have certainly lost the value of lore. And instead, we've replaced it over and over and over and over again with hard-to-understand scripture that the folks before us lost, and the folks before us lost, and the folks before us lost. We are supposed to be on our knees with this book, asking for revelation, pouring our experiences into the hands of God so that the sacredness within it can be revealed, not so we can go, ah, got it, now I can die, but so that we can create traditions and places like this space right here that we're creating where other people can walk in and feel free to ask their questions because this will create a future generation of other seekers like you and I who are willing to bring their whole selves and they don't have to go through all the stuff we went through. This is the beauty of what it means to to create a legacy, a spiritual legacy driven by God. And I think it's been his plan all along. Jesus himself emphasizes this when he says, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel I have found such faith. This is what he's saying. Hardly anybody likes this exists. And yet Jesus himself says it is critical and it is important and it is beautiful. To me, it means that through the Holy Spirit, God is still moving in the same way. Through tales and fables and stories and testimonies, through coffee talk, chat, through, through emails, through, through even sometimes through rumors, although not the best. But I've seen the Holy Spirit move through them anyways. Let me illustrate how this may work by using a very old story in a very non-traditional way for, it's not a church story at all. As a matter of fact, the entire thing is make-believe. In 1922, a woman by the name of Marjorie Williams had experienced a lot of difficulty in her life. She was looking at wars that were beginning to rage. She was experiencing great poverty. And what she decided to do was spend time looking for the good. And what she found in the good, what she found the most good, she said, was in the imagination of children. And so she went to write a book that we know now today as the Velveteen Rabbit. By the way, it took me multiple rabbits to get a rabbit that looked like the one on the book. (laughs) Just want you to know, lots and lots of rabbits. I I want more credit for that than is due, but Alyssa and I, (laughs) Alyssa and I, it was difficult, right? I mean, you should applaud again. That's how hard it was to get this rabbit. But (laughs) what I want to do is I want to read for you an abbreviated version of the story because uh, I know some of you haven't heard it. And then I want to highlight just a couple quotes in the story. And I want you to see if what she was writing in this story during her time still applies to our time and maybe even applies to you and your life. And then on the far edges, let's just look at how much of it drips with gospel the Velveteen Rabbit is a story about a boy who receives a stuffed rabbit toy made of Velveteen material for Christmas. And I didn't know this, but Velveteen at the time and still today is actually a very cheap material. It's, it's basically not velvet. It's Velveteen. <laughs> and so to be made of this material was kind of embarrassing and basically meant you weren't of great quality. The more mechanical and expensive nursery toys that could move and function when they were wound up looked down on the Velveteen Rabbit and pretended they were real. After a conversation with the old skin horse who had lived in the nursery longer than any other toy, the Velveteen Rabbit learned that real is not how they are made, but a toy can become real if a child really loves it for a very long time. The Velveteen Rabbit became the boy's constant companion, And eventually became shabby with wear. But he didn't mind because the boy loved him unconditionally. After the boy recovers from a bout with scarlet fever, during which the Velveteen Rabbit snuggled patiently with him until he was all well, the doctor ordered the germ-laden toy to be burned, along with all the other nursery toys and bedding to, to disinfect the nursery. As the Velveteen Rabbit waited outside for the bonfire that would destroy him, he cried a real tear. That brought out the nursery magic fairy. That's where the story gets legit. The rabbit thought he was real before, but he was only real to the boy who loved him. The fairy flew the velveteen rabbit to the woods, kissed him and told him to run and play. Her kiss changed him and he was truly real and at home with the other rabbits in the wild. The following spring, The boy saw the velveteen rabbit playing in the woods behind the house. And he thought the bunny looked familiar like his old velveteen rabbit. But he never knew that it actually was his treasured toy that he helped to become real. Let me give you a few facts about this as shared by psychologists, modern day psychologists and therapists who still use and prescribe this story to people who are uh, becoming real with every step of emotional help they take. The story confronts some of the most basic questions we ever ask as humans Who am I? Do I have worth? What is the purpose of life? People resonate with the story because it's like an unconscious life goal of people to become real. In psychology, we sometimes call this holding on to ourselves. We tend to give up our true, real person to avoid pain or rejection, so we become people who need to be validated by others and often lose who that real person is in the process. I'd like to give you just a few pieces of the actual book itself, not abbreviated, to ponder from this little book. First, real isn't how you are made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. Does it hurt, asked the rabbit? Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily, or have sharp edges, or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been lubbed off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and are very shabby. So apparently we have a lot of very real people here in this church. (laughs) All the seniors in the room, they're like, yeah, no, okay. But (laughs) But these things don't matter at all, continued the skin horse, because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. You see, when we experience unconditional love, we no longer have need for validation from others. This is when we as people can become real. I like this quote, when a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Sometimes others see and love the real us before we do. Sometimes other people can see it inside of us, And it's their love that actually drives us to see ourselves as we're supposed to be seen. And like the skin horse said, it can hurt. He longed to become real, says the book, to know what it felt like. And yet the idea of growing shabby and losing his eyes and whiskers was rather sad. He wished that he could become it without these You see, fear of pain, rejection, and loneliness, all these can make people choose to abandon their real selves and put on a mask or fake self, trying to become real in a different way other than by being loved. But a sign of growth and maturity is to love our true selves and offer our true selves to others so we can discover those who will love us for who we are. Perhaps the most famous quote from the book is this, once you are real you can't become unreal again. It lasts for always. When you know what it feels like to be unconditionally loved, especially by our Lord and Savior, you can't undo it or experience it. Once we come into ourself, our real selves, we're able to hold onto ourselves and we cannot go back. And then lastly, my favorite quote from the book, weeks passed and the little rabbit grew very old and shabby, but the boy loved him just as much. He loved him so hard that he loved all his whiskers off and the pink lining to his ears turned gray and his brown spots faded. He even began to lose his shape and he scarcely looked like a rabbit anymore, except to the boy. To him, he was always beautiful and that was all the little rabbit cared about. He didn't mind how he looked to other people because the nursery magic had made him real and when you are real, shabbiness doesn't matter." When people figure out their stories matter and that their worth lies on the inside, it no longer matters how shabby they are on the outside, especially those of us who've experienced trauma or abuse. Those of us who've experienced that often believe that we are too used or too messed up, we don't even fit in the shape we used to anymore emotionally, but the inside is what counts and that's what others love you for. And that's what I believe the Holy Spirit is trying to shore up today. You see, this little story, this little story is dripping with gospel. It's dripping with movement. It's dripping with purpose. It's dripping with all kinds of story and transformation and value and worth. And that's why inside this little story, there's truth, even though all of it is false. This is why it's so important to continue and keep these tales alive, to keep your story alive. Even the stuff that you thought was false about you is still important to bring glory to God about the transformation he has done in your life. Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. My question is, have you realized yet what it is we're proclaiming? Because it's not just more verses. It's not just more words. You can't just walk into a tribe somewhere and say, hey, here's a Bible, find Jesus. You've got to be a part of that tribe and be a part of that culture and listen to those traditions in order to speak into their lives the things that matter. What we are proclaiming is the touchable story of Jesus and how he forever changed our stories. Uh, We're proclaiming this, how Jesus found us and through relationship invited us to pour out our experiences into his presence, forever revealing the sacredness he placed within us. Our stories transformed are the best, most relatable representation of the gospel on the planet. And your very highest skill would be to share your own story, not mine, not something you got on illustrations.com right? Not something you stole off the internet. Your transformative story, your velveteen rabbit story is what relates to other velveteen rabbits. This is critical. This is why your tradition, your person, your stuff is so important to the movement of you and the way that God wants to build you. Because if you don't understand the way he has built you to now, you can't lean into the way he wants to build you in the future, and you certainly can't lead anybody else in that process. This is what I think makes our church a little edgy, is we're full of people who don't really know how we got here. And part of the reason we're full of people who don't really know how we got here is that 40 to 45 weeks a year you're being taught by a person who doesn't really know how he got here. We've created a tradition that if you don't fit in, you'll fit in perfectly. This is the tradition of Kesson. And this is your tradition to pass on to those that you and only you get to experience and do life with. But I don't think we should be surprised I mean, Jesus has been asking us to use our imaginations to remember his story for over 2,000 years now. You may or may not realize it, but when Jesus illustrates for us what communion is, it's, it's a velveteen rabbit. He's sitting in an upper room somewhere in Luke chapter 22, 14 through 20. And when the hour came, he reclined at a table and the apostles with him. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We call communion and we call baptism sacraments. They are the holiest thing that we as Protestant Christians uh, hold up as tradition, okay? And this is really important to understand because communion, and I'll put this on the screen, this is a tradition we are called through Scripture to experience together. Okay, we're not Catholic. So when we take communion, we don't believe that the bread actually becomes flesh as it goes in our mouth, or that the wine or juice actually becomes blood. We believe, through our imagination, that Jesus gave us a tradition to experience what it was like to sit with him and represent the sacrifice he made through the breaking of bread or the breaking of his body and the pouring out of wine or juice and the letting go of his blood. These things are experienced based traditions that we are called through Scripture to experience. That's what it is. It is literally a biblical velveteen rabbit. We're not actually eating Jesus Okay, and, I, and especially new Christians are like, this is supposed to be blood? Oh, that's so gross. Right? That's not what it is. We are putting ourselves into a tradition so that we can experience beyond ourselves something those who came before us passed down to us so that we wouldn't forget that he really did die and his blood really was poured out. Let's talk about baptism for a minute. We had a baptism two weeks ago off-site, right, at the Seventh-day Adventist. Now, I don't know if you know this, but... Kesset has a building that we're going to move into absolutely for sure by 2025, without a doubt in my mind. <laughs> it's happening. It's happening, 2025. But, we're, but probably shortly, maybe even next year, right? We're going to move in. That building, okay, was given to us when we rented it without knowing anyone there for a baptism service. Now, at most Kesset baptism services, we, we offer classes, we do trainings. And then always at the end, we say, listen... If there's anyone here that is feeling led by the Holy Spirit to come down to this water and be baptized right now today, we brought towels for you. We don't have clothes, but you can go home with one of our towels. We do it. Sometimes we have people. Sometimes we don't. Two weeks ago, we did it, and we had people come down and get baptized. Two extra people after each service in their clothes come down and get baptized. It was an awesome thing. It was an amazing experience. Service wrapped up, and I'm driving home, and I get a text from one of the elders, Greg, from that church that gave us the building at our first baptism. And he says, will you call me? So I call him. He says, Danny, I need to tell you something. I said, okay. And he goes, you know, I've been watching you do baptism for a while, even back at our building. I gotta be honest, I don't like when you, when you invite people up afterwards without going through the process of baptism. And I said, okay. And he goes, I mean, you know, I've been taught my tradition is that they meet with a pastor and then they go to a class and then they do this or this or this and and then they can get baptized. And when you just invite people out of the audience to to get baptized, I, I, I just didn't like it. Okay. He goes, but then this week that young man came down and he said, and I saw his face and I was untethered. He used that word, I didn't throw it in. He used it, he did. He said, I was untethered. And in essence, I wrote this down somewhere. (laughs) In essence, his experience changed his theology. His experience changed his theology. See, the Bible doesn't say you have to go through a class to be baptized or meet with a pastor to be baptized. Now, that doesn't mean that that's wrong. The Bible doesn't say also that you have to just feel it in your heart and get up and go right then. But that doesn't mean that that's wrong. Tradition teaches different things. And when you mix those traditions between classes and come down, people don't know what to do until they see the faces of those who were baptized. And suddenly, once again, the experience makes it real. You and your story are critical to you and your story. And if you try to drop that and just pick up the Bible or just pick up the mantle of holiness or just even pick up Jesus and don't bring yourself into that story, the the person that Jesus went after, the one, leaves the 99, goes after the one, and then you go, thank God I'm now part of the 99. No, you'll always be the one. We're always the one, even if we're living with the 99, because he went after each of us inside our stories. We don't take off the one badge and put on the 84. Glad I'm not for that anymore. We're part of this. This is what makes us real to ourselves, to Him, and to other people. And that is the beauty of what it means to honor God, honor our story, and honor the calling He has for us to reach the people He's put in our lives. It's beautiful, it's dangerous, I know. I'm sure I'm gonna get lots of emails and stuff, but you know what, I'm okay with that. I'm having lots of fun, having lots of conversations, and they don't always end good but they always end real. So today, we're gonna take communion. I'm gonna have them bring it in the back and pass it out, and for some of you, maybe this is the first time you've ever taken it. Maybe for some of you, you just now realize that symbolically, in your imagination, it does represent the blood and body of Jesus Christ. It is good and it is right, and he wants to uh, infuse your life with his, and that's what symbolically it's about. So we're we're gonna pray, we're going to remember, we're going to bring him whatever emotions we're feeling right now, and we're just going to rest in this place as we become real before our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are honored to uh, to just sit in this place for a moment, to, to uh, continue to not be distracted, to really, truly... Just uh, think about our stories in light of you, God. In light of all the things that we've been through and all the ways that we continued on all the way till our story ended up here. Lord, may we see the movements, the fingerprints, the signs of you all throughout. Even in the darkest spaces you were there. Even in the lowest lows, you were there. You've been intermixed and intertwined in my story since the beginning. You've been repairing me. You've been sewing me up. You've been patching my worn out spaces. And you've loved me. God, you have loved me. More than I've loved you, more than I've loved anything, you have loved me. Thank you, God. Thank you for receiving my story. We just lift this time to you now.